Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I want to start out with what happened in yesterday's hearings in the event that you didn't tune in. Just to give you my take on these things as well. I think what's most fascinating is that Cassidy Hutchinson is the perfect combination. The only thing missing was the pigment of her skin. Uh, She's a woman. She's young. She's testifying against Trump. Had she been black, it would have been the perfect attack victim for the Trump machine. But, you know, they're going after her anyway. Had she been gay, it would have been double. I guess I guess she didn't check all their boxes. But here she is. And as they document over at the writing.com, you know, this newsletter, the alerting liberal audiences to today's headlines from the Reich. This is from the Federalist. J6 claims about Trump and Secret Service collapse hours after hearing. No, they didn't. Bombshell J6 testimony about Trump's behavior collapses within hours. No, not so much. Uh, it goes up. Former White House lawyer delivers a devastating blow to Cassidy's testimony. No, I wouldn't say so. Secret service agents are itching to debunk latest J6 lies. Right. Eight bombshells from Hutchinson's testimony are duds. This is, this is the, 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 the right wing is all over trashing this young woman who testified yesterday. And the reason why, of course, is because her testimony was absolutely devastating. Uh, in fact, this morning, Chief's acting, uh, Trump's acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. Remember Mick Mulvaney? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, anyway, he said, I know her and I don't think she's lying. Which actually impressed me. I mean, you know, Mick Mulvaney telling the truth, that's unusual. Uh, she met, she, so here's, here are some of the things that she talked about. And by the way, I'm, I'm, uh, there's a great summary of this over at shero.substack.com, S-H-E-R-O, Amy Vanderpool's newsletter. She did a great summary of it, and I'm using it as a cheat sheet here. Um, she, first of all, on January 2nd, four days before the attack on the Capitol, uh, Cassidy Hutchinson said that she became really seriously worried when Rudy Giuliani told her that on the 6th, quote, we're going to the Capitol, it's going to be great, the president's going to be there, he's going to look powerful. See, I told you yesterday, this is Mussolini. Mussolini started out in uh, 1919 with uh, 300, or excuse me, with, um, I'd have to go back and look at my own article. I think it was 20 brown shirts. He had uh, just a very small number of them, and he worked his way up to 100 or 200 and and started, uh, you know, he never was elected anything, started moving out and taking over little towns. And by, by October 31st of, 20, of 1922, he had 20,000 black shirts. If I call them brown shirts, I'm mixing them up with Hitler. Black shirts. And he just marched into, into Rome and said, okay, that's it. You know, uh, to the king, you will, you will hand the government over to me. And the king dissolved parliament and said, okay, Mussolini, you're the prime minister, because he was threatening violence. This is what Trump wanted to do on January 6th. He wanted to march into the Capitol and say, I'm here, I'm in charge, I'm the president for life. And according to Cassidy Hutchinson, uh, his uh, Secret Service detail and, uh, and whatnot would not go along with that. Now, keep in mind that the, the guy who Everybody says, oh, you know, he's, he's not agreeing with this. He's, he's, he's saying this is not true. Uh, that's uh, Anthony Ornato. He is, by the way, this, the Secret Service agent, 
He is the guy who was hired as the White House Deputy Chief of Staff. In that role, he helped coordinate this uh, photo op that Trump did in Lafayette Square. Ornato, the guy that the, that the right wing is saying, oh, you know, she's lying. This is the guy who organized when they tear gassed the protesters in Lafayette Square so that Trump could walk out there with a Bible. He organized this. He also helped coordinate rallies all around the country on behalf of Donald Trump. And many of these became super spreader events, you'll recall. That's the guy who's saying, oh, no, she's not telling the truth, right, that the right is all quoting. Um, anyhow, uh, she, she goes through this. She said, uh, Tony said, relayed to me something to the effect of these effing people are fastening spears onto the ends of flagpoles. Meadows didn't seem interested. He was obsessively scrolling on his phone, kind of doom scrolling. I'm guessing he was watching Twitter to see what was going on over at the Capitol building. Um, when Cipollone bursts into his office and says, we got to do something, he's like, uh, he says, Mark, something needs to be done or people are going to die and there's going to be blood on your effing hands. And then again, when they started the Hang Mike Pence chant, uh, Pat Cipollone again goes into Meadows and says, you know, this is not good. And Meadows says, quote, you heard him, Pat. He thinks Mike deserves it. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. And Cipollone says, we're going to get charged with every crime imaginable. And then Meadows and Giuliani both asked Trump for pardons. The police had reported that these people had guns, they had pistols, they had AR-14s, AR-15s, pepper spray, knives, brass knuckles, stun guns, body armor, gas masks, batons, blunt weapons, spears, and flagpoles with sharpened tips, all of which they used against the police. You'll recall over 140 police ended up in the hospital as the result of that. And then after, he, after his speech, Trump got in his motorcade, and, uh, and this is Tony Ornato is the one who told Cassidy Hutchinson this kind of lurid story about him grabbing the steering wheel and trying to get back to the Capitol. You know, whether that's true or not, who knows, because that's, that is hearsay. That's her saying Tony Ornato told her, and Tony Ornato is not necessarily the most credible witness. Uh, we'll see. But she was in the room. When Bill Barr went on TV on December 1st, 2020, and said there's no evidence of widespread election fraud. And that's when Trump threw the plate against the wall and, uh, you know, smeared ketchup all over the wall and smashed the plate on the floor. Something that she says he does regularly. And then there's the witness tampering. But I think the most important thing of, I, I, you know, where, where, and this is how they ended yesterday with two quotes from, from uh, witnesses who have come forward and said, you know, there are people threatening me. If I speak, if I speak up, they're, you know, Trump, Trump reads transcripts, you know, this kind of stuff. I want to know who's doing the witness tampering. That is a major felony. And somebody's got to be feeling very, very nervous right now. But I think the biggest point of the whole testimony yesterday, the ketchup and everything else, the biggest point of the whole testimony yesterday was that when Donald Trump was informed by the Capitol Police that the people who were, who were uh, organizing themselves down near the, down near the, um, the Washington Monument and some of the people who were, coming, who were coming to his rally on the Ellipse had guns and knives and spears and they wanted to set up magnetometers. In fact, they'd already set up magnetometers that people would have to go through in order to get to the Trump rally. Keep in mind, at this Trump rally, Trump was behind bulletproof glass and Mo Brooks was wearing body armor. So anyhow, they come to Trump and they say, uh, these people are armed. They're carrying guns. They're carrying rifles. And Trump said, get rid of the magnetometers, let them in. We're going to march down to the Capitol with them. Essentially, I want them armed. I mean, this is serious, serious stuff. So now we know how authoritarians take over governments. You know, we have for years and years wondered, how did it happen that Mussolini took over Italy? How did it happen that Hitler took over Germany? How did it happen that Orban took over Hungary? Well, now we know. They did exactly the same kind of stuff that Donald Trump did on January 6th. That's how it happens. 
So there's this weird subculture on the right that is sometimes kind of generically referred to as QAnon or the crazies or the whatever. And I mean, it's been there forever. It's been there throughout my lifetime. You know, it was the John Birch Society when I was a kid. It was the anti-fluoride movement. I remember in the 70s, there was all this hysteria. You know, I grew up in Lansing, Michigan, and I believe it was the early 70s. I might be mixing up my memories. I'd have to go back and fact check it, but it was around that time. It was when I was, you know, a young person that Lansing decided that they were going to fluoridate their water supply and the right-wingers went crazy and there were protests and they were debating it on television and whatnot. You know, one of their arguments was, it wasn't a health argument, it was that fluoride makes you crazy or fluoride makes you passive or fluoride is an instrument of government control. I mean, seriously, that whole conspiracy theory has largely faded away, although there are still people who are opposed to fluoridation of water supplies and I'm not trying to take a position on that. You know, I understand some people don't. The fluoride is a byproduct of making aluminum and, and it's a different kind of fluoride from the organic and quack, 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 quack. I'm not gonna get into all that. And I will say I do use fluoridized toothpaste, but, um, but the point is, setting aside fluoride, is that right-wing crazies have been with us always. And very often their rhetoric leads to political violence. Now, the fluoride one didn't, but, you know, there have been a bunch of others. And the main thing that causes this, or one of the main things that causes this, is right-wingers asserting that there is some group within the government or some group that controls the government, and usually when they're talking about that, they, they use George Soros' name as a stand-in for wealthy Jewish people. Um, because this is, you know, the Protocols of, Elder, of the Elders of Zion, this phony document that was put together in 1910 by the, by the Tsar's secret police, uh, basically blaming all the problems of the world on Jews, still is around, still is believed, still is gospel for these people who are parts of these uh, white supremacist militias and whatnot here in the United States. And so, you know, when people go on TV, people who have large multi-million audiences, multi-million person audiences, uh, go on TV and talk about how government is trying to do something to you. It's trying to pacify you. So you will not protest, so that you won't pick up your gun and go after the bad guys. You know, when this happens, these are, frankly, in my opinion, invitations to stochastic terrorism. Stochastic terrorism is where the person trying to provoke the terrorism is not calling for a specific act, and it's not telling a specific person to do something. Instead, what they're doing is trying to activate lone wolves. People that they don't know, none of us know, trying to bring them out of the woodwork and get them out there killing people. Which, by the way, has been happening in the United States pretty aggressively, largely since the 1980s, since the Reagan Revolution. As the middle class has gotten wiped out by Reaganism and all that, $50 trillion has flowed to the top of 1%. You see people losing their lives, losing their families, I mean, losing their economic lives, losing their families, losing everything, losing their income. You know, they thought back in the 80s that they would do better than their parents, and now they're doing worse. Their children are doing worse than they are. And what do they do? They turn to violence, or they listen to right-wingers who tell them, oh, well, it's because of the black people, don't you know? Or it's because of those immigrants, we gotta put up a wall, don't you know? And they don't realize that they've been screwed by Reagan. They've been screwed by Republican neoliberal policies for 40 years. So then come along the demagogues saying, oh yeah, and by the way, the government is still trying to control you. It's not the fault of the Republicans that you're broke. It's not the fault, I mean, it's not the fault of the, of the, of the morbidly rich in the United States that you're broke. Oh no, 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 no. It's government bureaucrats and they're trying to sedate you. Which brings us to Tucker Carlson last night. Honest to God, this is amazing. These are quotes from his show. Quote, the more atomized and unhappy American society becomes, the easier it is for them to control. Now, who's them? He doesn't quite say. He goes on to say, fewer marriages and babies and family-owned homes means more rootless and disaffected people. It means the entire nation an entire nation of desperately unhappy grad students. Sandy Cortez, this is the slur that he uses to describe Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Sandy Cortez could become the queen of a country like that. 
And then he goes on to say that this is uh, basically a feature of our society, not a bug. He says, families are for the tech tycoons in Napa. They got a ton of kids. And for the Haitians huddled under the bridges at the border in South Texas, they got a ton of kids too. But for you, the middle-class American, sorry, your deepest desires are beyond reach. In other words, you can't afford a family anymore. Which, by the way, is true. It's the result. I mean, you know, when Reagan came into office, two-thirds of us were in the middle class. Now it's, it's about 45%. And people can't afford, you know, student debt, uh, low wages. People just can't even afford to start houses. So then he goes on to say, and this is where it gets really weird. He goes on to say, you have to wonder how long before Democrats sponsor legislation to distribute free cats to young people in the cities, placebos to replace the families they can no longer have. And then this is where it gets really weird. They're coming. That's coming along with SSRIs in the water supply so you don't have to think too much about it. We're finally getting to see what their utopia feels like. Hope you feel better. Seriously? I mean, it's like... The fluoride debates of 40, 50 years ago, now it's SSRIs. They're going to put Prozac in our water? Really, Tucker? And who's this? They? Joe Biden? The Trump administration? This is just tragic that this is our media and that there's millions of people watching this and thinking, oh, yeah, that's a serious analysis. It's tragic. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Defending America from the weapons of mass deception. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Last Best Hope, America in Crisis and Renewal by George Packer. And this is from the first chapter uh, titled Strange Defeat. The year 2020 began with an impeachment trial, the third in American history. The president had used his official powers to extort a political favor from a foreign leader in order to help his own reelection. His guilt was clear. Only the tribal loyalty of his party kept him in office. But before long, hardly anyone remembered the impeachment. The year ended with the president's attempt to overturn the result of an election in which 158 million Americans voted, the most ever, and rejected him by a margin of 7 million votes. Holed up in his palace, surrounded by sycophants, he broadcast frantic claims of fraud and victory, while his allies manipulated the level levers of government and media to keep him in power or else maintained a prudent silence, and his deluded followers poured into the streets and websites. If he could have provoked a military coup on his own behalf, he would not have hesitated. If he'd then abolished future elections, millions of Americans would have cheered him. The last day of 2020 came on January 6, 2021, the day that the president sent 20,000 maddened Americans to overthrow self-government. Up to the very end, what kept Donald Trump from reaching the exalted status of dictator, feared by his bitterest critics, desired by his most fanatic supporters, was his own ineptitude, along with our creaky institutions and the remaining democratic faith of the American people. There was always a perverse comfort in imagining Trump as a fascist, a Mussolini. It would mean that we were up against something clear-cut, both familiar and foreign, as if half the country had come under an alien spell uh, that the other half had somehow resisted. Trump himself encouraged the analogy, the cocked chin, the jutting lower lip, the dramatic way he climbed the floodlit White House balcony steps after being released from Walter Reed Hospital and removed his mask and saluted the Superman restored to full strength. These images made him seem artificial, more like a European ruler than an American president. 
But Trump was a native son, an all-American flim-flam man and demagogue, a traditional character of our way of life. Twain would have immediately recognized him. He was spawned in a gold-plated sewer with other creatures of our celebrity trash culture. Investment gurus, talk show hosts, evangels of the prosperity gospel, surgery-altered TV housewives, bling-worshipping rappers. His supporters are part of us, too. Yes, I'm aware that we become two countries, but each one continually makes the other. A failure the size of Trump took the whole of America. The year 2020 saw the most flagrant attempt to subvert democracy since Fort Sumter. It began with attempted blackmail and ended with attempted sedition. Between them was everything else. When the virus came here, it found a country with serious underlying conditions, and it exploited them ruthlessly. Chronic ills, a corrupt political class, a sclerotic bureaucracy, a heartless economy, a divided and distracted public had gone untreated for years. It took the scale and intimacy of a pandemic to expose their severity, to shock Americans with the recognition that we are in the high-risk category. In certain ways, the United States was favorably positioned to come through without heavy losses. We had two months to learn from the horrors of China, Iran, and Italy. We are among world leaders in biotechnology, sophisticated hospital equipment, intensive care capacity, and medical specialists. We live spread out across a vast and rich country where many people live in single-family houses with grassy yards and commute alone in cars rather than on crowded trains and buses. Our cities are less dense than those of Europe and Asia. Our Americans pride themselves on being independent and resourceful in a crisis. The same spirit that drove Clara Barton, a government clerk with no training in health care, to bring medical supplies and comforting words to wounded Union soldiers in Washington at the start of the Civil War would carry Americans through the plague of COVID-19. Here, finally, was a crisis that could pull Americans together, as hadn't happened in the two decades since September 11, 2001. The biology of a pandemic is designed to show the limits of individualism and affirm a truth that's too hard to keep in mind. Our common humanity, everyone, is vulnerable. Everyone's health depends on the health and behavior of others. No one is safe unless everyone takes responsibility for everyone else. No community or region can withstand the plague without an active national government. No country can end it alone. Generosity and courage broke out everywhere. A plane load of medical workers flew from Atlanta to New York to help with overwhelmed hospitals. General Electric Aerospace workers in Massachusetts demanded that their factory be converted to producing ventilators. A hospital television show donated protective equipment that real hospitals lacked. Volunteers ran shopping errands for the sick and elderly or took out sewing machines to stitch masks. The dedication of New York's nurses and doctors inspired residents across the city to come to their windows at the nightly seven o'clock shift change and bang pots and pans to cheer and sing to the nearly empty streets. The book Last Best Hope by George Packer. And welcome back, Ruth, in West Los Angeles. Hey, you. Hey, Ruth, what's on your mind today? You said something curious that I don't know about, and I'd like you to elaborate on that. And that is, you said uh, Ornato isn't the most reliable uh, source. So uh, I'm not challenging you. I want to learn from you. So what did you mean by that? Well, Ornato is the guy who was who organized a bunch of Trump's rallies for him. Um, Ornato is the guy that Trump made his acting chief of staff. He, you know, the, the, to, uh, so Ornato is a is a is a Trump humper, basically. You know, he's somebody who sucks up to Trump constantly. And so, A, when he told uh, Hutchinson that Trump tried to grab the steering wheel, I mean, I just, I just don't trust Trumpies. He may well have been exaggerating. And then she passed that exaggeration along because that's the thing that everybody's attacking her for saying. Couldn't have happened, didn't happen, et cetera. But she was quoting Ornato. So I think it's entirely po- I, I believe that she was quoting him accurately. I, what, I, what I'm thinking probably happened right. was that he exaggerated to her what happened because he's just that kind of guy. He's one of these Trump humpers. And in Trump world, lies are just fine. You know, Trump told a dozen lies a day throughout every single day of his presidency over 30,000 times. Well, I, I have I have kind of a different take on it. Go for and it. I uh, 
and I uh, said this to uh, a friend and my cousin, who's actually a news producer, um, that uh, three people need Secret Service protection today, in my opinion. And those people are Cassidy, Ornato, and Engel. And I think, I mean, I want to, you know, I respect everything you say every day, but I think that the reason why Ornato is pulling back from that is he knows what Trump will do to people or he, or Trump's Secret Service, which is his mob. Right. Um, well, so, Renato was part of that. I mean, Trump Trump did a really good job of bending people to him. You know, he had he had some Secret oh, Service guys who were openly or oh, the other thing about Renato is he on his uh, social media on his private personal Facebook page during January sixth. Well, I believe it was Ornato. It was several of the Secret Service details associated with Trump. I may be wrong. It wasn't Ornato, but I believe it was. Um, a number of them were basically cheering on January sixth. These Secret Service guys who were really close to Trump, they had become, you know, they hated, they, they hated Biden. They were openly okay. partisan during the election and after the election. Whether or not I may have exaggerated, like you said, may, maybe uh, Engel is the one that should say it. But I really think that they're pushing, that they're, you know, recanting on what she said because they're fear, fearful for their lives. I mean, Donald Trump is the godfather and he his uh, followers are his secret service. And he's got you know, followers they, willing to kill people. I mean, you know, they, they've already killed right, multiple exactly, people. They killed exactly. Heather Heyer. They, they, uh, they you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Killed killed two people in uh, Madison, I believe it was. Well, my parting shot is maybe they should borrow the Secret Service that's protecting Donald Jr., Ivanka, and Jared Kushner. I'm with you. Anyway. I'm with you. Okay. Ruth, thank you for the call. Maria in Ontario, Canada. Hey, Maria, what's on your mind today? Typically, when a young, attractive woman has something to say, there will come out of all of the closets around her people to discredit everything she says, and that's already begun. We will hear a barrage of her illicit activities that come out of her background um, and all kinds of things to discredit her testimony that she gave under oath to, by discrediting her as a solid witness because of her youth and her inexperience and whatever they can come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's, she's the blue dress that did so much political damage to Clinton. It didn't bury him, but people were, there was no way to deny stuff because right. of this evidence that showed up. And I think that's what she is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know what? I'm an old lady, <laughs> and I've kind of gone blank at the moment. There were some other things I did want to talk about, but I think it's important for people to realize she was under oath. She's very well educated. She's very much in command of her situation, and she was in the room. And until they got all of these naysayers under oath yeah. to, to discredit her, um, then we have no choice but to believe she was telling the truth. I, I agree with you, uh, Maria. And, you know, the, the one thing that she did say that was literally hearsay was when she said that uh, Tony, what's his name, uh, Morano or whatever his name is, uh, that he told her about the incident in the, in the beast, in the car, you know, where, where Trump tried to, to strangle the guy and drive the car back to the Capitol. Uh, that s- sounds like it might be exaggerated to me. I don't know. But what's so funny is, I mean, that was the one, uh, most of her testimony was not hearsay. It was first-person witness accounts. But Jim Jordan controls the House Judiciary Committee's Twitter account. It's uh, called the House Judiciary GOP. And so yesterday, Jim Jordan tweeted out, this is all hearsay. And so uh, somebody, I'd have to go back and look at who it was. It was a member of Congress, uh, tweeted back to Jim Jordan saying, now, Jim, let me explain to you. Hearsay is when somebody in the locker room at your college comes and tells you that one of your one of the students that you're coaching told him that he was molested by the doctor. Direct 
testimony is when the person who was molested by the doctor tells you about it. And of course, what they're referring to is the fact that Jim Jordan appears to have participated in a cover-up of sexual abuse by a physician at the college where, or the school where he was the wrestling coach. And he just, anytime this comes up, he tries to run in the other direction. Um, so it's just, you know, so, so bizarre that Jim Jordan would be the guy coming out going, oh, it's just hearsay evidence. No, it wasn't. You're absolutely right, Maria. I think it is the blue dress or the John Dean or, what, you know, whatever, however you want to characterize it. This is the moment when it all got super real. Maria, thank you so much for the call. Tammy in South Suburban Chicago. Hey, Tammy, what's on your mind today? Um, yeah, that was a perfect setup for my call. Um, I was just curious. I, if my understanding was correct, the Secret Service has already testified to uh, the, the committee. One, maybe both of those agents have already testified, yes. Right. So they would have known what she was going to say yesterday and to put such an explosive Maybe, maybe not. Statement. I mean, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the committee didn't know to ask those questions and the, and, the, and the Secret Service agents didn't volunteer that information. We don't know. Okay, so that makes sense, but at least they don't have anything that would not make that or a statement that was true anyway. No, I, I agree. I mean? like, if there was evidence or if there was testimony that con conflicted with what she had to say yesterday, they would not have allowed her to say it. Exactly. That's what I was getting at. And the other thing that I find interesting is that they want to discredit her. I don't know her. You know, that's Trump's MO. I don't know this person after they get in trouble or whatever. But there's pictures of her on Air Force One. So do they normally let random people just hop a ride? Oh, and there's, and there's literally <laughs> dozens and dozens of pictures of her, Trump, and Mark Meadows walking into various rooms, walking right. into various businesses, or buildings rather, going to rallies. Yeah, the other yeah. thing that I find interesting is that they trusted her implicitly with arrangements for security movements yeah. because they told her, Cassidy, don't let us go to the Capitol. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah, which is they pretty amazing. They trusted her to do that. So for somebody that they don't know, and, you know, it seems like she had a lot of knowledge of really high-level security movements. It makes you wonder so, if, if these uh, basically chauvinist pig men, uh, specifically mm -hmm. Meadows and Trump, thought that, and, and, and you know, I think it's uh, certainly it's obvious with Trump. I think uh, Meadows' history uh, is less obvious, but... In any case, it makes you wonder if they thought that because she was young and a woman, she would be easily cowed. Ah, that's interesting. And that sort of doves into the other thing with the whole ketchup on the wall and the plates throwing. I, kn I know it's funny and I laughed about it too, but I've actually been in a situation like that where I had to clean up a mess after my old boss threw stuff. And I know how that feels. And I felt a little vindicated having someone on TV saying that because it, it brought back a lot of bad well, memories. And, 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 and two was, points about that. Number one, it shows that. that he's violent. I'm sorry, finish your oh, sentence. Yeah. I, I was interrupting you. Yeah, no, it was just it, it was just good to, you know, got a little vindication of something that I've buried for a long time that yeah. I was like, you know what, I know how that feels. I know how it feels to have something like that and have to clean it up. I get it. And, and, and so number you know, one, it, it shows that he's violent. Number two, that's destruction of government property, which is a crime. Ooh. Interesting. It's a felony, yeah. actually, if it's more if it's worth more than a thousand dollars. Now, Melania wow. Trump was supposed to come up with new uh, new uh, uh, tableware, uh, whatever you call that. You know, the the, the porcelain. Where, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, she was supposed to come up with a new version of it. She never got around to it. So the oh. the, the plates that Trump was eating off of were designed by Michelle Obama. They were the Obama. <laughs> Uh, you know, place settings, well, uh, which no might reason. be why he liked to break, break that, them. Right. <laughs> right, but but they but they, they cost three hundred eighty thousand dollars for that set of of, uh, of plates oh and sauces and everything else. So if he wow. if he damaged more than a thousand dollars worth of federal property, uh, that's a felony that he can go to prison to for multiple years for. So, well, that's incredible. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. You know we'll Come back see, to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. Tammy, thank you for the call. That was excellent. Uh, Cliff in Santa Clara, or Santa Clarita, excuse me. Hey, Cliff, what's up? Morning, Tom. Hey. I'll keep this brief. Uh, but something that's been bothering me for a while is when I hear Chuck Schumer talk about his friends and colleagues on the other side. Yeah, makes me want to uh, puke, too. I, I, I cringe, Tom. I mean, it, you know, maybe years ago, but for some reason, being polite, is his top priority. I mean, really? Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, Lauren Boebert, Paul Gosar, 
et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think he's other. noticed that the guys on the right do not refer to him as their friend any longer. <laughs> Never. Of course not. That's what I mean. It's like a double standard. They're bashing the left all day long, and Chuck Schumer wants to come and be super polite to these people. They're not our, they're not our friends, Mr. Schumer. There's way too much at stake. Our democracy's at stake. So for now, the time for politeness, it's not now. I think you need to take the gloves off and get tougher. I'm not hopeful that this will happen, but that's that's the way I look at it, yeah. Tom. That, that was my op-ed yesterday, Cliff, is, you know, I said that I think that Schumer has been a very ineffective leader of the United States Senate. If it had been LBJ, he would have kicked cinema and mansions asses all the way down Pennsylvania Avenue, um, you know, Thank you. one after the other. Uh, it's very disappointing. And, and then Schumer reads these boring speeches from the floor uh, when, you know, somebody needs to teach him how to use bullet points and, and speak, you know, from his heart rather than uh, from a piece of paper. And then I've I've put him on my spam list. I've you know, I've been getting these uh, these press releases from the, from Schumer's office for years and they're unreadable. They're like, you know, 15 paragraphs to say what could have been done in, in four sentences with bullet points. The ones I get from Trump. You know, Trump's got this new, uh, you know, America First Foundation or whatever that is, you know, out there promoting their right wing agenda. They are brilliant. I mean, they're really well done. They're really tight. They're really impactful. Um, I, I think they're largely BS. But but, you know, sure. Get a get a grip. I was having this conversation with Dean Obadala, my colleague on Sirius XM. I was on his show uh, last week, I think it was. And we were both like, what's wrong with Chuck Schumer? I've been saying this for years, by the way. I have communicated this to his office, believe, through three different members of Congress. Get your act together. It's not happening. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's time to take names and kick ass. I mean, it really is. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Bob in Otis, Indiana. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today? I immediately thought of you yesterday when they were talking about his antics uh, in the limo. I think more and more that was supposed to be Mr. Bumble's uh, goose step on Rome in his mind. Uh, it sure sounds like it. Though. I agree. I think he, he thought that he would march into the Capitol with his, you know, thousand armed supporters with him and and march up to the up to the speaker's dais now that everybody was in hiding down below and say, I am president of the United States. I am declaring a state of emergency. I am suspending the elections and I will be president for the next four years and perhaps beyond that, you know, uh, basically pull a Putin. Yeah. Or a Mussolini, actually. Yeah. Um, when uh, when Hitler was in prison in the 20s, right. wasn't he somewhere in like his mid-30s? I don't know how old he was at that time. I'm sorry. I think he, I think he turned 50 and I think it was 1938. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm not that that tight a scholar of Hitler. He, but, you know, he, he wasn't. He, What's your I point? He wasn't. Well, he wasn't terribly old, and he was in pretty good health. Mm. If Trump went to prison now, uh, he would be what in his mid seventies, and right. he is not in good health. We know that. Yeah. I think that would take a lot of the steam out of him if he were behind bars for a few years. I agree. Robert Reich uh, publishes a newsletter over on Substack, and uh, he his newsletter this morning pointed out that, A, uh, in order to prosecute Trump, you'd have to prove that he knew that he had lost the election. Uh, B, 
nobody has, no, no president of the United States has ever been criminally prosecuted for things that they did in office that would be unprecedented. And C, in all probability, a successful prosecution of Trump or an imprisonment of Trump would not only provoke national violence, but it also may turn him into a martyr. Uh, the martyr part, uh, Reich doesn't point out. I'm adding that. But, but uh, these are really serious concerns. And so I share your, your, your uh, uh, opinion, Bob, that uh, you know, Trump going to prison would not make him a happy fellow. Given the points that Robert Reich made, for example, this morning, I think it's extremely unlikely. But I do think it is super important that the American public and history know what a criminal this man was who occupied our White House for four years. Bob, thank you for the call. Thomas in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Thomas, what's on your mind today? Hi. Yeah, I want to uh, talk about General Milley on the January 6th yeah. assault. So, so, yeah, we all know the story, right? He was told not to interfere, but uh, Vice President Pence told him to get down there. At least right. I believe that's what I heard. Right. So, but his job, isn't it, to defend? And I don't know his exact position, but why is he listening to Mark Meadows, not the vice president? But also, regardless of that, his job is to defend the Constitution because he pledged an oath to it. And the voting whole system is part of that system, of the Constitution. And here's the and problem. He should have at least, here's the he problem, should have at least set up down there with his troops and and monitor it very closely and then stepped in if the Capitol Police asked for help. I agree he should have. Here, here's the problem, Thomas. On January 4th, Mark Milley's boss, General Milley's boss, acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller, published a memo that went out to everybody in the Pentagon and, and, and whatnot saying that no troops can be deployed to the Capitol building, no security can be deployed to the Capitol building, that intelligence gathered by the Department of Defense, which would be General Milley, cannot be shared with the Capitol Police, that they may not give to the Capitol Police riot equipment, they may not give them tear gas. I mean, specifically, they named these things. You can find the memo. It's really easy to find. You know, Chris Miller's January 4th memo, you know, uh, to the Pentagon about, or to the National Guard. So no matter what General Milley wanted to do, no matter what the National Guard wanted to do, I mean, you had the Republican governor of, uh, of Maryland, uh, Larry Hogan, caught, you know, begging the National Guard to uh, his own National Guard from, you know, because they're right across the border. I mean, you know, they're, they're right on the border with Washington, D.C. to go in and help out. And they couldn't do it because the Pentagon had right. said, because Donald Trump's handpicked guy who he brought in right after he lost the election, by the way, he put Chris Miller in charge of the Pentagon after he lost the election. And but this is the guy. That still stinks. He should have. I mean, he. You can't. You he can't defy a military. A military man defying an order by the civilian head of the military, the, the the Secretary of Defense, is a crime. That is treason or something close to it. He couldn't do it. You just can't. I mean, that you just can't. This is at Trump's feet. Karen in New Orleans, Louisiana. Karen, thank you for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? I'm getting ready to call in my donation after I talk to you. Um, there was a, a, a Republican representative that has been voted out because of his inflammatory speech named Steve King. I believe he's from the Midwest yeah, section he's from Iowa. of the town. He said on national television... There's going to be a, and I believe this was before Trump, the doomsday of 2016, uh, that uh, we're, there's going to be a war, and we have all the guns. That's right. Who you think's going to win? That's right. Yeah. No, I, that, you know, that's Steve, chilling. Yes. Uh, Steve King is a, uh, was a notorious right wing crackpot and, right. and media uh, uh, monger. Um, okay. He used to come on my program. I, you know, I used to debate oh, Steve no. King. And, really? You know, well, this was like 10 years ago uh, before right. he before he started being explicitly racist back right. when back when he was just a normal Republican who was a little to the right. Um, right. You know, I would debate him on, on issues, but uh, he, he just went totally over the over the edge. And we stopped inviting him on the show. And um, it, it, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's dangerous stuff. Yeah, Karen, you're absolutely right. Thank you very much for that. And thanks for pointing that out. Carlos in Los Angeles. Hey, Carlos, thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. What's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, thank you for 
uh, taking my, my call. Uh, I just want to say something because, you know, I, I moved to the United States 30 years ago. I came here to study college from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. I never actually had the chance to return because of the situation there. And people talk about Venezuela, but, you know, like with these socialists and all that stuff, that's not even close to the truth. That's a dictatorship that is being supported from uh, Russia, where somebody, you know, uh, basically through the meaning of election, free elections, got into power and never left. Yeah. Because. No, yeah, that was my, the point of my article today. I called out Venezuela and Cuba. I mean, and, and, and of course, Stalin and, and the Soviet Union. Uh, even though they're all considered, quote, left because everybody gets free health care and everybody has a job, um, doesn't mean that they're not fascist states. No, and they're, they're not even left or right. I mean, they just uh, they just go, uh, you know, they just go alone and whatever, whoever opposes them and, and stop in jail or they have to leave the country. Yeah. If you're a company and you don't produce uh, products at the prices that they consider that are popular, they take over your company and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so uh, remind me, Carlos, the name of the guy before Maduro. Maduro is the current president in Venezuela, but he, he. Yeah, Maduro is the current president, which was pretty much like a hand down. Right. It was handed over to him. But who's the guy Hugo he replaced? Chavez. Hugo Chavez. Hugo Chavez. That's right. Yeah. And and you know, right. another one of these. It's my way or the highway kind of you know leader with a capital L. And and, right. uh, you know, it's and we have to be, you know, I think progressives have to be willing to say that just because a country offers everybody health care and, and, and education doesn't mean that it's not a fascist state. Hitler did that, too. Yeah. But the thing is that the health care doesn't work because, you know, it's, it's, the funds are not coming in and the same with the education. Yeah. So it's not like you're getting a prime education and you can go somewhere else and practice that. That's that's a total lie too. Yeah. No, there was there was a, there was a lot of Hugo Chavez love after he trashed George Bush at the UN. Um, you know that was that was the one moment I was willing to cut him a break. But Carlos, I get it. I get. It. I got to run along. I got to move along here. But thank you very much for the call. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Matt in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Matt, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I want to take us back to Napoleon and Julius Caesar, both of whom were dictators and maybe fascists. But one thing that Napoleon did is he did away with the hereditary aristocratic provinces and he created a national system of departments. And eventually, I think that led to the republic in France, the permanent, the third republic. I wonder if we got 42 million people more represented by Democrats in Congress than are represented by Republicans. And I don't think we're going to avoid fascism unless we reorganize the states and get rid of all these red states with less than one or two or three million people that have two senators. I just don't know how we're going to get out of the political jail that is the United States Senate. I yeah, just, uh, it's, a, it's a serious challenge, Matt. It, it, it is a very serious challenge. And, and when the right-wing billionaires started their, their program to convert all of, you know, to convert red states, it, it was really smart. I mean, they went after low-population states where you could buy up media properties and you could spend small amounts of money to flip an entire state red. And, you know, they, this has been a 40-year project by these, by these right-wing billionaires, and they've, they've succeeded to a large extent. And, you know, I, I, the, what I would point to, since you mentioned Napoleon, is that Napoleon's rule, I mean, Napoleon's, the cult of personality around Napoleon and, and Napoleon's kind of neo-fascism or pseudo-fascism in France um, didn't collapse and the Third Republic didn't emerge until Napoleon lost, you know, and, and, and got arrested and exiled. And that 
if, if, I, if I'm remembering my French history right, I mean, this is, I, I'm, this is high school history. That was a long time ago. But, you know, that's typically the only way or the main way that countries reject fascism is the leader dies or the leader is defeated or the country is defeated. And uh, that's why it's so important that you not let fascism embed itself in the government in the first place. And that's, that's, yeah, okay, thank you. That's, and that's the big challenge we have both in this election and more importantly in the 2024 election because they're getting ready to steal elections. I mean, they, they are literally passing laws in swing states that, or states that might become swing states like Georgia and Texas that say that the, the state legislature controlled by Republicans can simply decide who they're going to send their electoral votes for. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Back with your calls on the other side of this break. It's 46 minutes past the hour, exposing the con in conservative. Kevin in Rockport, Massachusetts. Hey, Kevin, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Hi, Tom. I just wanted to mention these secret service officers who did not take Trump to the rally, to mm-hmm. the Capitol, I think... I put them in the same hero category as Brad Raffensperger and even Pence at the very end because at those three points, things could have gone a lot worse, but they refused to be bullied into uh, doing something wrong. If uh, Tony Ornato's statements to Cassidy Hutchinson, which she relayed to the rest of us yesterday, are true, and I'm not sure I always trust or believe Ornato, given his history as a Trump rally organizer, um, but if they are true then yeah, absolutely, Kevin. That was a a heroic act, defying the President of the United States and taking him back to the White House. It's it's pretty impressive. I'm with you. Kevin, uh, thank you for the call. Aaron in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, Aaron, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I was hoping you could help me a little bit, uh, trying to understand the timelines yesterday, because there was something I I think we may have learned that was different. Uh, When uh, Ms. Hutchison is talking about the meeting between Pat Cipollone and Mark Meadows, where saying, hey, they're saying, hang Mike Pence. And Mike Meadows says, you heard what he said, Pat. He deserves it. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. And right. they're being the, the protesters. Right. And then later, uh, she talks about how the one gentleman, you know, says he's going to decide to resign that as soon as he hears about the tweet sent attacking Mike Pence. From what I understood, the way it was related, she was saying that, that Trump made the statement about uh, he deserves it and they're doing nothing wrong at the Capitol before he even tweeted out his attack on Mike Pence. That's my understanding of the timeline as well, Aaron. And so that kind of changes. I think that puts him closer to the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers inning on finding Mike Pence and Ms. Pelosi and other people. Because because the way it kind of sounded before was he puts out the tweet and then people start chanting some moron reads the tweet to the crowd of a bullhorn and people start chanting hang my pets after that but they some people were saying that before his tweet right and I think they had the gallows I mean there were people uh, going after Mike Pence right from the get go right so again I think it puts it closer to the to a, a plan to violence and knowing I think Donald Trump was part of a conspiracy to murder the vice president of the United States I think that's where we're ultimately going to end up and and I I think that became fairly obvious yesterday although it was never explicitly said but it it is clear to me uh, you know and uh, obviously I'm biased and and I'm and I don't have all the evidence and I may be wrong but but it certainly appears to me that Trump was part of an explicit armed conspiracy I mean, you know, who brought the gallows? Who built the gallows? That gallows yeah. was not built by one person. Those materials were not yeah. brought onto the Capitol lawn by one person. This wasn't some deranged individual, you know, like the, like they like to characterize your typical, uh, you know, right-wing shooter. This was part right. of a, a conspiracy, part of a plan, an organized plan. And if you look carefully at the pictures of that gallows, some, you know, the, 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 the screws, the bolts were countersunk. The, the wood was all cut right to the right length. The, the noose was a particular type of rope, and it was tied the correct way. I mean, somebody knew what they were doing. Somebody put a lot of work into that, uh, in preparing that, in bringing that, in putting that together. 
It was a big deal. So, yeah, I'm with you, Aaron. And I think that's what ex ab exactly what happened, was there was a plan to murder the vice president of the United States, and Trump was part of it. Josh in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Josh. Thanks for listening to Sirius hey, XM. What's up? Yeah, thank you for taking it. It's an honor to talk to you. So, listen, while we're all being uh, focusing on the uh, January 6th hearings, I stumbled upon something that was really disturbing last night. It seems that there's a congressional subcommittee studying the, the criminally negligent response by Trump to COVID. And they released some information, which was quite shocking. And, and just to give you a thumbnail of it, is that um, he hired Atlas because Atlas uh, agreed with his um, crazy ideas. And Atlas was the one who undermined the idea of mitigation for COVID, mass social distancing, and pushed herd immunity. Right. Uh, I remember. And, that all, and then they also changed the uh, statistics that were given out to the governors. Yeah, that was that was reported two days ago. That, that in fact, I talked about on this program that Atlas um, uh, had directed his staff not to release information. They were hiding information from the American people. This was uh, later on in the year. I believe that was like what, August, September, because the election was coming, and Trump Trump wanted the economy to get back to normal. So he wanted people to feel safe to go uh, go shopping, to go back to work, all that kind of stuff. And Atlas was right there with him because Atlas believed in this whole bizarre herd immunity theory. Right. But plus add the politicization of the whole thing where they went after Fauci and the other experts yep. to discredit them. Yeah. Um, so they can push their own their own agenda. I mean, this is uh, uh, this is criminally a criminal negligence for this. And I think that that led to the death of a million Americans, Josh. Yes, I know. And, and we're not focusing on it. I, you know, the, the problem with Trump is there's so much going on that it's hard to focus attention on, on any one thing. I know? agree. Andre in Chicago. Hey, Andre, you're on the air. What's up? Hey, Tom, I got a couple of things I want to talk with you about. I want to know how you feel about this. I believe if Trump prevails and we do find ourselves in a, a fascist situation, I think we'll end up in another situation like Tiananmen Square because I don't think the American people would tolerate it, and I think it would unite NATO against the United States just as it has united NATO against Vladimir Putin. Yeah, uh, NATO can't take on the United States. We are... You know, probably, I mean, our, our, our defense budget is, is multiples. I, I, I'm reluctant to name a number because I may be wrong, but is, is multiples of what the defense budget of the entirety of Europe and all of NATO is, um, excluding us. So, you know, I, I get what you're saying, Andre, and, and, uh, and I think it's possible that we would be called out. Uh, we might even be expelled from NATO, although I doubt it. But I... Uh, I, I, you know, I, th I think it would be a, it would be a disaster. You know, you're right. Well, well, let me ask you about the, the sanctions. The pretend isn't uh, couldn't other countries put sanctions against the United States if something like that would happen, and, and we find ourselves in another Tiananmen Square situation? They could. I mean, Tiananmen Square was where the people tried to protest against a fascistic government in China, and the government crushed mm -hmm. that protest. And that's what Donald Trump tried to do here in Portland, Oregon. We had people out in the streets protesting his, his you know, pro protesting the murder of George Floyd and, and police murders of black, unarmed black people in general. And Trump sent Custom and Border Protection agents here. Uh, and they were driving around the city without, you know, in uniforms with no markings on them, no name badges, no identification. Um, we didn't know what agent, what federal agency they were from. They're little, like the little green men Putin sent into, uh, into Crimea. And they were driving around in vans and literally kidnapping people off the streets. The vans would you know, pull up to people and they'd jump out and grab them and throw them in the van and haul them off. Um, you know, that, that will, and that happened here for about a week. And it got, you know, a fair amount of publicity and a lot of people were horrified and Trump stopped it. That is the kind of thing that will absolutely go nationwide. That is what happens when the leader creates his own private militia. Thanks a lot for the call, Andre. Gary in Alpharetta, Georgia. Hey, Gary. Greed has no heart. Greed has no heart ever. Uh, thank you, Tom. There's two things uh, quickly I want to point out. I think we we just not focused on you are and I am and others. The two core problems going forward in America. One is we have turned just about into an oligarchy, former government. We're just about there. And secondly, one thing I don't think we're talking about either is in my I'm really concerned. Uh, is that you've heard the word mechanicization, haven't you? No. Mechanicization. It's a it, it, it's it's a it, it's a process where where instead of using 
uh, humanizing things, we de dehumanizing things. Oh, it's like it's it's the it's the process of applying Cartesian worldviews to things. Well, mechanical instead of where instead of where I learned a long time ago, uh, and, and it's reality that one of man's challenge is not becoming too robotic. Yeah. And this process that we're under, the human, uh, the word I use, it, it, it causes people to, to, uh, uh, Are you arguing that we're losing our humanity? Yes. Yes. Sorry. It, right. And, and that, and that brings us a failure to communicate more like human beings yeah. in our culture. Yeah. No, and I, it's brought on by dark money. It's brought on by this money thing I've talked about for years and years and years. But the, but it's almost it's another thing about man becoming too robotic. I think it's also driven by a number of, of the sociopaths in our society. There's a huge bunch of them. But you know, we still need to engage. We need to engage at every level. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.